welcome to the talk of Murphy Wells, and I am, of course, him. This is a podcast I created in order to talk about business, entrepreneurship, marketing, and really bring in people who are trying to tell their story to my audience. And hopefully you guys are inspired by those stories, and you go out and you tell them to someone, or you continue to work on your own. This episode is very unique to me because I actually intended to do it last month, but I ended up doing it this month instead. And to me, that's even more significant because this month marks the one year since I formally left my W-2 job and decided to go full-time in my business. And if you have been listening since my old show, the idea largely is with me is that I break things that are significant into like to me down into like things of one, three, five, and ten. Those are my series of significance. And I think for this episode specifically, I have three main takeaways from this last year of being in business for myself to where I'm paying all my bills regularly. I am putting money away in my investments. The equity has gone up in my home. I don't go hungry or have to worry about food. I'm able to travel and still experience the kind of social life I want to. With all those things on the table, I figured it would be a good time to say how I got here in the last year because when you see the amount of really cheap sales copy, especially that's on Instagram these days, of these dudes who all say the exact same thing no matter how they try to adjust it left or right, they're all saying, oh, well, if you aren't making a hundred grand a month, you need my top secret system. I'm only unveiling it to the people who sign up for my webinar, $997. There is so much of that out there that I often, sometimes even me, fall for the sales pitch of the really cheap, corny guy who does not have anything to teach you, who will just take your money and instead will give you stuff you could have found for free on the internet. In this last year, I left a job that I really, really, really cared about working for people whom still mean the world to me to this day to start a business because I had bought a camera a few months earlier and I had gotten a text one day, a random Wednesday that I honestly didn't want to go to work that day. And I had woken up to a text from someone that basically said, hey, You've got a camera. You're pretty good at telling stories. I'll pay you two grand a month to follow me around. And I basically had reduced my income to about 25% of what it was because when you get an opportunity that basically just sends you a text first thing in the morning and says, hey, it's not going to start how you want, but it can end up better than you expected, you don't really get to pick and choose. You either go with it or you don't. The thing about this text is that this person really did need me full time. And in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that good of a deal. But I remember immediately waking up and texting my girlfriend at the time. And I said, what do you think? And she told me, well, you haven't seemed very happy lately. Maybe this is just what you've been waiting for. And my stomach immediately sank out of my ass. (laughs) The thing about February is, especially here in Missouri, it's a very cold month. It doesn't necessarily mean it's below freezing, but it's one of those days you wake up and you want to stay in bed. 
But I got out of bed. I texted work and I said, I need the day to think about some things. And the first of these lessons that I have to share with you is that if you're going to go into business for yourself, whether it's part-time, full-time, or some kind of unforeseen gift from the grace of God, as it were, you got to take risks, guys. You got to take risks. You are not going to be able to stay comfortable and do this thing. And when I looked back at everything I had going for me at first form, I was making about a hundred grand a year, just under that. I had benefits, insurance, putting my money away in a 401k. And I had the coolest gym in the entire Midwest I could go to day or night, as long as it was open for the employees. Not to mention all the really cool travel I got to do for this job and the fact that I was working for my role model, Andy. I realized very, very quickly that the next day when I had basically made up my mind that I was going to stop working my job and I was going to start investing in my business, the idea that I had to be somewhere at a certain time with such regularity stuck with me for a very, very long while. And I had felt internally like I was always late for something for like that first couple months. You're used to going to bed at a certain time. You're used to waking up at a certain time. You're used to certain things feeling a certain way. Once that routine gets interrupted, you kind of start to realize that it's really up to me what I do with my day and how well I do it to a new level, a new extent. You immediately feel like there's more on the line because suddenly you don't have that paycheck coming in every two weeks. You don't get to budget the same way you used to. The idea of taking risks in this case isn't just the idea that you're going to have to leave your job at some point. It's it's also what you do with your funds. Because whereas back in the day, if you needed a computer, well, work could give you a computer. Well, as soon as I left First Form, I had to give that computer back, which that's fine. I had to. And <laughs> I remember... This was this was a fight that should have never happened. Um, I took my 401k money, which, again, I had been stashing this money away, and if you withdraw from it early, you have to pay a fee. Well, I withdrew all that money because I knew I was going to have to make investments in my business. And I went out and bought a used MacBook Pro for like 700 bucks. And my girlfriend at the time, <laughs> she got mad at me. And she goes, well, I was going to buy you a computer. And she knows or she knew that I hate being bought things. Like, if you are going to buy me stuff, please make it a small item. (laughs) And I reacted very poorly because I felt like her act of kindness, her act of support was her more or less taking pity on me. And the thing is, is that when you take risks... It's, it's all about what's in it for you. Is it a big risk or is it a small risk? Because with those big risks, yes, there is an opportunity for it to blow up in your face, but there's also the opportunity for you to succeed on the other side. And along with that risk, one of the risks you'll have to take is the people you'll invest in. And from that specific era of time, I would say like the first three months of my business, 
I pretty much have every single one of those interactions etched into my brain who I was talking to, what I was talking to them about, what I could offer them, how how I was going to make their life better and get them to start paying me. And what I can say that was so beneficial about what I was doing and who I was coming from as far as my job is that a lot of people had a really good idea how hard I would work for them with as little gratification coming my way as possible. Like if there is something that Andy's companies will teach you is that delayed gratification is a very, very wonderful thing. And on the other side of it, after all the tests, after all the anguish, the the person you come out is the real prize. And for those first three months, it was how do I live on as little as possible while maximizing my income? And one of the risks that kind of got wrapped up in the equation was actually my relationship. And we had a lot of different things that were going wrong between us at the time. And there are things that each of us still have to work on from that time. But the thing that really didn't strike me until I think it was too late was I'm a guy who's been single most of his life. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I dated around a lot in college, but as far as like committed relationships, I don't have a whole lot of them. I'm usually only accountable for myself. And in this relationship, this person was thinking about moving to St. Louis from her home state of California. And when you're with somebody, you have to realize that you're not just accountable for yourself to everyone who hears that and says, well, no shit, Murph. Like, I know that. Why don't you know that? Well, you don't know what you don't know. This was my first long-distance relationship, and it was amazing, and it was an adventure. But the thing is, is that with those adventures and those risks you take, is that a good long-term plan? Mm, for most people, no. I've always looked for the adventure in everything. The person who I was dating, she had a lot of routines and she was very disciplined. She is very disciplined. And when you are someone like myself who in a second can give up what you are to pursue what you think you can become, you often take risks that cost you things that really, really eat you up inside because especially for these last two and a half months as I've done 75 hard, which I completed successfully the video project. I will just, again, need help with, but you spend a lot of time by yourself. And this, this thing, this journey gets really lonely at times guys. And I remember we would FaceTime most nights of the week. And there were some where I was just in such a bad mood or I was so scared, or I was so anxious, and she tried to help. And when it got really real to the point where the visits weren't what they used to be, when the vibe around here wasn't what it used to be, and she knew my feelings about <laughs> me coming out there for mostly political reasons, I'm sorry to say that that relationship didn't go where we thought it would. And it hurt a lot. Not because we were awful to each other, because we weren't. We both wanted to make it work, but 
when you look at your priorities and you look at what's on the table, you have to ask yourself what you're willing to risk. She had a very unique path in front of her and I had a very unique path in front of me. And the one thing that I can't do is risk things on other people's behalfs. When you have the opportunity to work for your dream employer in in a field that's very astute that you've worked so hard at and you sign up to get your MBA and you're getting up at 3.30 every morning as it is and now you're not going to bed till like 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, then it makes sense that you can't risk that to support my dream. That makes sense. But it also makes sense that in order for me to really pursue what I was going to be in this, I had to start worrying about myself more, which meant my social life was something that largely got risked. Don't get me wrong, guys. I travel. I have a good time. I'm not like balling six-figure expenses every single time I go out or anything, but like I've leveraged credit cards and I've leveraged debt and I have done it with paying like very minimal interest over the last couple years and I've really learned how to make my resources work for me. That's all an assessment of risk. Your risk to reward ratio is so important because most people amount everything to their job. Now, if you got a great job and maybe you're an entrepreneur and maybe you're doing the best you can with what you got, you're having a good old time, everything that is your life comes from that, okay, that's absolutely fine. I feel you. But I would also like to remind you that you are over-leveraged. And the idea of being over-leveraged is that there is something that commands the height of your attention, your resources, your risk. If you have outstanding credit card debt that you can never pay down, you are over-leveraged. If you have too much to do and not enough time to do it in, and you can't get the important shit done, you are over-leveraged. But if you can take calculated risks... And if you're prepared to lose a few things along the way, I believe that there are really great wins in my future and they're for anyone who chases this path. One thing I will always respect about the relationship I was in last, because I don't, I don't like referring to her as an ex. I don't like referring to anyone who I've been in a relationship with as an ex. It's, it's just never, it's never really sat well with me. Again, I don't have that many long-term ones, but the thing that I will always really appreciate about her is that even after we broke up, she would always say, go build your empire, go chase your dream. That's one of those things you can walk away from and say, that person cared. And for what she did invest in me for the time that we were together, there was some risk involved for her too then. Getting out of your comfort zone is hard, y'all. And to get on a plane, to go to little old St. Louis, Missouri, the most dangerous place in the United States, to go fall in love with someone as spontaneously reactive as me, well, you'll, you'll risk a few hours of sleep and some convention, but the adventure you get out of it, I promise you, is worth it. And that's not just unique to your intimate relationships that's unique to the journey in front of you. So lesson number one, 
is take risks. Lesson number two is stay humble. You are not as good as you think you are. And if you don't think you're good in the first place, well, then you're still probably thinking too high of yourself. I I thought of this the other day, which was, you know, I was I was having a conversation with someone and she said something to the effect of you should really try to be kind to yourself. And I had to let her know. I'm like, yeah, I've tried that. <laughs> and I don't remember who it was or why we were talking about this, but she goes, well, well, why is being kind to yourself so hard? And I said, because most people who are kind to themselves aren't honest with themselves. The, the truth of the matter is, y'all, is that I look back at my most early work and a lot of it I'm really embarrassed of. And mind you, that was just like a year, a year and a half ago. And the truth was, is that the person who, even though, yeah, the amount of work that was asked of me in terms of how much I was getting paid was significant. The truth was, is that like, they could have honestly asked me for more work and I probably would have given it to them at the same price. I'll actually be even more honest in terms of humility. And it's that a lot of the people who I got to work with me in the beginning, I mostly got them to do that because like I did them a free piece of content, y'all. And the thing of humility is that when you start your own business, your immediate, and this isn't just starting your own business. This is you signing up for a new course. This is you trying to say you're going to study for X amount of days when you really don't have any momentum together. This is you starting a new sales job or trying to be an affiliate for something. This is those undertakings that are really big when you don't necessarily have the best track record of doing well on them. Just because you get certified or just because you signed up for the thing does not mean the people are going to be knocking at your door. And that's a very, very hard crash to reality. Most people hate facing. Oh, I'm just going to get certified and then everyone's going to come to me for personal training. No, they're not. Oh, well, I'm just going to file my LLC and then everyone's going to come to me for insert business here. No, they're not. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm going to get a link and a code and everyone's just going to use my link and my code. See the phrase. No, they're not guys. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. I, I want you to really follow me on this. And it's that the idea of getting 1% better every day does not mean that you are 100% better in 100 days. That is not how that works. It means that you are at a certain percentage of efficiency of effectiveness Let's just say you're at 1%. If you are getting 1% better by the day, that does not mean you are 2% better the next day. That means you are 1% of 1% better the next day if you did everything correctly. And I don't know exactly where I'm at in my percentages, but it's in terms of total potential, I'm not, I'm not that high, guys. <laughs> I'm not that high. And that humility is something that has served me very well because as my skills have increased, as my equipment has increased, as my connections have increased, and as the opportunities have become something that I look at them a year later and I'm just like, wow, I don't feel like I deserve this. That ability to say I have a long way to go has, it surprised me in a lot of ways because when I think about even being asked to recontract around first form, uh, which is not like an ongoing, like exclusive thing. It's as I'm needed. That's one of those things that in retrospect, I saw what people had to do 
during their interview process to work for the media team. And as I continue to double down, as I continue to show like I was willing to invest in myself, I had to remember that people were watching me and it was kind of like being an employee again, which was when you're at first form, especially, which is an amazing professional environment. You have to keep in mind that accountability is a very big piece of the job and the accountability is not usually soft spoken. It's, it's, it's polite, but getting with the fucking program is absolutely priority. Number one, if you aren't down with the cause, if you aren't down with the mission, and if you can't fill the holes in your boat, so we don't all sink, well, you know, don't expect to be around very often. And I applaud that kind of mentality. And that has done a lot for me. And it even goes back to the workouts that we would do as a team. Even if you were, you know, doing the best you could, it still wasn't good enough. If you were pushing as hard as you could, like you could push a little harder. And as much as I would hate those workouts, and I still have horrible flashbacks about doing like CrossFit and Jarrett Bond with his electric whistle. I remember him always saying, like, if we could broadcast what's going on in your head right now, how would everyone feel about you as a teammate? And the thing is, is that internally I can be incredibly dour, incredibly negative. And when I think about how I would treat other people based on that internal dialogue, the thing I have to remember is like the way that I see things and the way that things are are usually not the same thing. We often like to let our feelings make us feel like we are more deserving or more entitled or more than we really are, or we've experienced harder things than we really have. Now, I, of all people, have experienced some very hard shit, and I can admit that. But I also recognize that for all the great blessings in my life, for the very great fortunes, for the things that I'm fortunate to have, that is, instead, I I also realize that, like, hey, that idea of things could be worse is immediately equitable to I could be a lot better. And part of that humility is a lot of people will try to tell you, well, you need to charge what you're worth. You're not charging what you're worth. Okay, well, here's the deal. What is it that I am worth? Am, am I sitting here trying to get someone to be impressed by what I charge? Or is it that I want to show someone that I'm going to go the extra mile for them? To me, I'd rather give you more than what you paid for or do a better job than what you're expecting because I want you to come back. The reason that this podcast is called The Talk, guys, is because it is based around word of mouth. It's based around the idea that when you see or experience something good, you will tell someone about it. You will create a story about it. I am a storyteller above all things. And if there is one kind of character everyone hates no matter what kind of story it is everyone hates the entitled condescending self-absorbed whatever the person may be doing in the story they hate that character they hate the person that is entitled they hate the person that's not humbled i hate that kind of character there's something about dealing with people who lack humility who lack self-awareness that is just so gut-wrenching to me. And I have my moments. I have my moments where I can be a complete prick. I have my moments where I can be the most boastful, loud, obnoxious, blatantly <laughs> condescending person that I know. You usually have to pull that out of me somehow. 
Like if we're competing in something and I, I know I'm really good at it. Like if we're, if it's, if it's, if it's a battle to do impressions, okay. Like I've probably got your number, but if it's pretty much anything else in life, I know I'm not that good. Just about anyone who I will go one-on-one with hoops. Like I'm pretty friendly. I'm pretty respectful. If you say something and I know you're not that much better than me, well, then I'm going to score a few points on you and then I'm going to start saying something. But it's not just because my talk is worth it. It's because I'm willing to back it up with work. I'm willing to back it up with self-awareness in my improvement. And like, even when things aren't technically my fault, I still have to accept that they are still pretty much my fault. I had an issue go down. Uh, one of my people, I've done a bunch of podcast videos for her. And unfortunately, I've lost some of her files over the last few months. I've always said, hey, guess what? Obviously, you don't have to pay for that episode. I'll often give her one free if that ever happens. Now, the thing is, is that I've gotten a lot better about making sure I keep track of files. There's still things that happen. Okay. There are still things that happen. And that doesn't mean that comes out of someone else's expenses. That means I put my humility out there. I take the ego out of it and I say, how can I make this better? The key to humility, at least in my opinion, is to remember just how small you really are. Like really think about how small you really are. When you think about oh, this is some this is a practice I used to do a lot more consistently in the mornings and I need to get back to it. My spirituality and my sense of equilibrium has really been off. And it's that I would wake up in the morning and I would immediately think about that I was meditating in my office. And my office is one room inside of my house. My house is roughly 800 square feet. My house is on a certain street in a certain county in St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri is a rather small state in the Midwest region of the United States. The United States is a country which is part of the continent of North America. There are seven continents on the face of the Earth. The Earth is the third planet from the sun. There are, depending on who you ask, nine planets in our solar system that we commonly refer to. Our solar system is a very small piece of the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is a series of planets and stars and gases and gravity all spinning towards Sagittarius A. Sagittarius A is a supermassive black hole in the middle of our galaxy. Our, there are billions of galaxies in our known universe and I'm one person, one little carbon-based life form with some semblance of self-consciousness that could recite all those things to you. When you think about yourself like that, our existences are inconsequential. It's something that when I think about the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell each other, that's the stuff that really gives those stories meaning. That's, that's the idea behind significance is that someone felt something. Someone was impacted. There was good done because of you in someone else's eyes. As far as the world and 
the universe and the galaxy and all that, whatever order you want to put it in, as far as they're all concerned, like, you you don't matter. There are a few carbon-based life forms, and depending how good you are at branding and marketing, who will come across you at some point, who you will come across them. You can have a significant role in their lives, but it has to be done with an honest effort. It can't be one of those things you shortchange. And if you start thinking you're bigger than you are, then the earth is going to take you to task. Just remember the bigger you are, the harder you fall. So lesson number two, remain humble, stay humble, practice humility. And the last thing is, to me at least, you really have to think big. I am someone whom has thought small for most of his life. And as a result, later on in life, I thought much bigger. You could kind of break it down to like 18 to today. From 1 to 18, I was very much playing it safe. I didn't think I would do much with my life. Actually, in eighth grade, I joked around that I was probably going to be a miserable alcoholic. The reason I think I said this is because my mom worked in restaurants and she was a great bartender. Like my mom was an amazing, amazing entertainer around like bars and restaurants. Like she would take care of you. She would make sure that like you would leave with a smile. She she would make sure that your dining experience was the best it had ever been. Your drinks were always poured and cold. She she would make you feel like you were family. And I always thought it was so cool how she was able to take this job and turn it into something that most people would brush off. They would just be like, oh, well, that's just being a waitress. That's just being a bartender. But for some reason, when I would like talk to her regulars, I always just like thought that these were the people that I was going to grow up to be. I was going to grow up to be a teacher that didn't really seem that happy, a, a lawyer that really didn't seem that happy. Uh, well, these people, you know, they had all these careers that they worked their whole lives that they went to school for or whatever, but they were still just, you know, in their late 40s at a bar drinking every night. My mom wasn't drinking every night. She seemed like she had purpose in what she did. And the thing that I think that showed me was that even if you get a title like teacher or lawyer or doctor, you can still be playing too small. Because in a lot of cases, most of those people aren't chasing what drives them. Most of those people are chasing a title or money. And I almost did that myself, too. Because it was funny because I actually recorded a podcast with someone who I was in journalism with in high school today. We were talking about it. And there was a period in my life where I thought I was going to be a journalist. I was going to go to Mizzou because their school of journalism is like best in the country. Uh, and I couldn't get into Mizzou just because, again, I was a very average student in high school. And when I couldn't go to Mizzou, I didn't care about journalism. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to be a doctor. Why I was going to be a doctor? Well, I wanted the title. I wanted money, which was thinking too small. And I was like, okay, well, I want to have purpose as a doctor. So I wanted to become a psychiatrist. Well, you still have to do all the things I'm not good at. I'm not good at hard science. I'm not good at going to school. I'm not good at following directions from a teacher who I don't really respect. I'm not good at chemistry or physics or any of that shit. So why am I thinking so small as to believe that a doctor is what's right for me? Then I was going to be a lawyer, which is me thinking more in the realm of my skill set being able to analyze things that are written down, make arguments, have conversations, 
dictate dialogue back and forth, propose an argument and prove it true. Those are a little bit more my wheelhouse. But again, that's that's not me. So what am I? Well, I was a drug dealer. But when I when I started selling drugs, I started realizing how much I could make numbers work in my favor. I started learning that 448 grams in a pound didn't just have to be, hey, since I bought this for X amount of dollars, I can just make a small margin on top of that. I could sell it wholesale and make like 300 bucks real quick. Yeah, that's a cheap, easy way to make money. I started realizing if you broke it down by gram, how much money could you make? That taught me more about supply and demand than anything else. I learned about inflated markets because of how much stuff there was out there. No one needed anything. And so everyone had too much stuff. So you had to put the prices down. So that way, when someone needed something, they were coming straight to you. Like it was, it was crazy how this thing worked. And it taught me a lot about business and it allowed me to create opportunities for other people. And as derelict as it may sound, it taught me a lot about negotiation. It taught me a lot about putting a product out there that the market will pay you for. It's crazy because it took all the things that I was good at and that I liked to do. I liked to break the rules at this point. I liked to talk to people. I liked to network. I got to do all those things. When I got to first form, even before I got to first form, when I was waiting tables and washing dishes and bussing and managing every single day I was playing the montage in my head that this was all going to lead to something bigger. Like when you are flipping things to make money, whether it's something illicit or something not like you're always thinking about like, what is that next payday going to look like? How can I leverage more money out of this? How can I get more stuff? How can I put on more people? That's thinking big. When I had to aspire to do something, when I fucked up my life and I didn't think I had any options. I had to think big, which even while I was doing small things, I was thinking about this is the kind of car I'm going to get. This is the kind of house I'm going to get. That's the kind of computer I'm going to get to edit my stuff. These are the books I want to read. This is who I want to be like. I started realizing it wasn't where I was. It was where I was going. First form was the thing that really proved me how possible it was, though. First form was the thing that looking back at it, it was like, Dude, this guy, Andy, South County, Missouri, went to Missouri State, dropped out. I almost hit him with my car. The, the, the first S2 he ever opened was the S2 where I started shopping for products. He slept in the back of that store. And here's this guy rolling in with a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari or a McLaren every day. And it's like, I'm in these buildings. I'm, I'm talking to these athletes. I'm getting to know these people. I'm, I'm meeting folks that have celebrity status. That guy started exactly where I did. And so to think big, one of the books you have to read if you work in that building is you have to read The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. The thing is, y'all, is that we like to tell ourselves that the things that are comfortable to us or the things that we think we're deserving of we have to keep in mind that our perspectives are often very limited. Part of thinking big is, to me, it's fighting the feeling of being helpless. I'm someone whom 
I often deal with things from my past in not the healthiest of ways. And if there's something that I've learned about myself, it's that I hate feeling like I don't have options. When I was on probation, this was like the most blatant version of this because your options are severely limited. Running around being a shithead ne'er-do-well who basically sells drugs to pay his bills and who's worried about going to the club four to five nights a week, who's getting seriously overweight, eating too much pizza, doing too much blow, drinking too much hard liquor. For me to go from being who I thought I wanted to be to who someone else told me I basically had to be or that was the rest of my freedom, that that took a lot of getting used to. And again, I had to think kind of big at the time because even though I knew how to break the rules for the most part and even though I knew how to basically not get caught, I had to keep in mind that doing the things that I was forced to do, like going to treatment and recovery and doing the classes and showing up for extra meetings with my PO, like I had to see that there was uh, there was benefit to be had by that. I had to stop thinking so small as to believe that I could manipulate everybody, which I will say this, I may not approve of how many drug rehabilitation and recovery facilities there are, I think a lot of them are ran just to be moneymakers by people who can't stay out of trouble. As much as that is true, one of the more honest pieces of advice I got from the first experience I ever had doing MRT, which is moral recognition therapy or moral rehabilitation therapy, I don't even remember, honestly. And they make you say like your 10 truths or whatever. It's like the first of like 12 steps. And the way I was saying things, they weren't buying it. They they were like, we know you. You're the city boy who's in college and he uses a lot of flowery language. We ain't buying it. Like you're gonna have to do this again next week. I was like, Well what what I, I said my ten things. Like, yeah, but you don't believe the ten things you said. That's manipulative. You have to be able to say to yourself in these moments, I'm better than that. I can't think small on this one. And part of thinking big means doing things that, again, require you to stay humble as you take risks. I, I've had to make a lot of peace with who I am in this journey. And I'm still making peace with who I am. And I've had to come to terms with a lot of the unhealthy ways that I deal with things. And where this fits into thinking big is that getting outside of yourself, not listening to the jargon you have to tell yourself, not simply letting things be the way they are. We have a lot of power inside of us in the decisions and the choices we make, how we deal with people. And again, not how kind we are to ourselves, but how honest we are with ourselves. As I said, there was a relationship that unfortunately didn't make it through this transitional period in my life. And it's that we both had a different direction ahead. And if there's anything I've learned about myself through my more unhealthy years 
is that I am someone who does not get attached to people very easily. And when I latch on, I latch on hard. If you're my person, you're my person. As Kevin Gates once said, if I tell you that I love you, you can never do no wrong, which is not true in any capacity. If I tell you that I love you, you can still do things wrong, and so can I. (laughs) But after we broke up, she had said to me how important it was to her that we remained friends. And I am someone who has a lot of trouble moving on. I really have trouble moving on from someone whom I had envisioned myself getting married to. And I had told her that us being friends probably was a good thing. But the truth was is that I was holding on to the idea that we were going to make it work somehow. And that's just not thinking big enough. By the time I came to terms with the fact that not only was this holding me back from moving on, whether she had or not really didn't need to be my concern, I I was thinking small because I was really saying to myself, even if we did make it work, are you both giving each other really all you can? You have no desire to move to her state. She has no desire to move to yours. You're both busier than ever. You're both doing everything you can to put your priorities first. Like, is this is this fulfilling to either of you? No. No, it's not. But the part where I had to think bigger was that in the other two cases of my life where I got committed to someone... The impasse we always have to reach is, well, when and if it ends, what do you do with the other person in your life? How do you how do you make that work? And sometimes you just can't. Thinking small that all I've experienced is the amount of all I ever will experience is a really good way to run in circles. Because... In all those situations, thinking small is everything is going to remain the same. This one little piece of it may have changed, but everything else remains the same. And it doesn't. I had to be honest with myself, and I had to say, not only is this keeping me from moving on, but I'm also a very jealous person whenever it comes to seeing someone who I love Move on. I think all guys have that in them. I think all people have that in them. And I think it degrees of it vary from person to person. But with me, again, I don't I don't date a lot. So I think very small-minded things about myself and about that other person. And for me to see that my business would suffer if I was spending that time and energy on someone else, that... Quite frankly, neither of us needs to be focused on the other person. We need to be focused on ourselves. For me to be so small-minded that that was the height of my intimate experience, someone who I could only see a handful of times in a given year or that they would get it out of me, 
it doesn't mean what we did wasn't amazing. It didn't mean that we didn't really support each other. It meant that we had found each other at the right time for what it was. And then we got challenged. And the ideas that challenged us forced us to look inside and say, well, what do you really want? What do you really want, Murph? Do you want her to struggle your struggles because you don't want to do this alone? Do you want to give up all these things that you have going for you right now for any given reason? Do you really believe that you've talked to enough people today? Do you believe you've sent enough messages? Do you believe that you really gave it your all? Is a hundred grand a year really even that much? Is 200, 250 grand a year really even that much? Is a million people helped really that many people helped? These are the kind of questions I've had to ask myself over the last year. And the more questions I ask, the bigger they get. And the bigger they get, the scarier they get. When I tell you I think about things like how minute I am compared to the supermassive black hole in the middle of our galaxy, I don't just say that because I'm a science nerd or because I'm a space nerd. I I do it because I think of what is the grand scheme of all of this? What is the piece that I play? Is this self-aware piece of star matter that has skin and bones and muscle and organs flying through space on a rock that just happens to carry carbon-based organic life forms on it, is there any significance to me? The fact that I can ask that question as I record this on my couch 47 minutes in at midnight. (laughs) Thinking big is the thing that scares me most. But it's the thing that has allowed me to take the right risks and also reminded me to stay humble because there's a lot more to come. In the last year of my life, I have I have been to more shows and more festivals than I ever thought I would go to. I've I've made some of the craziest friends in so many different parts of the world. I've met more celebrities than I ever thought I would. I've been on more adventures and I've fallen in love and I've had my heart broken and I've been a good friend and I've been a bad friend and I've been a good son and I've been a bad son and I've created projects that didn't go anywhere and I'm trying to make sure that this one goes somewhere. The nature of my Instagram is really changing right now. And so doing more things with the podcast, doing more things with the YouTube channel and even doing things on X. I'm at the daily Murph underscore. There are little risks I am taking on right now. Reminding that this is my white belt moment. Just remember that there's something bigger out there, guys. No matter what journey you're on, if you take those three pieces of advice seriously and you apply them to your situation, 
They may not fix every problem you have. They may not teach you everything you need to know. And I've never told you they would. But on the long list of cliches our parents told us that really are true, every single one of those things over the last year, those are the three most significant things that I can give you from this first year of being in business for myself full time. Well, guys, that is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening up until this point. I need to be better about uploading episodes. I think I'm finally able to carve out the time. It's really just a matter of finding the guests, sitting down with them, and trying to get them to tell their stories. As well, if you got something out of this audio-only episode, please do me a favor. Leave a review. Leave a rating. Share it with a friend. Leave a comment somewhere. Tell somebody, just help me get the word out because I'm lining up more people for interviews every single week right now. I want to start bringing you an audio exclusive episode of just me probably once a week. I understand that this thing goes up and down all the time, but more than anything, I'm going to make this one last bonus piece of advice. I do this for you guys. The truth is, is that a lot of people tell me to podcast gift of gab murph i'm i'm trying to give you guys something good here so if you're getting something out of this let me know tag me on your story tell a friend let's get the word out on this talk take care guys i'll see you on the next one i'm out